Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Sitati Katuyi, based in Nairobi, Kenya. Sitati is a three-time CTO and two-time startup founder with a full-stack software engineering background. He has led engineering teams in InsureTech and messaging automation SaaS companies and built the tech stacks for the two startups he co-founded in the e-commerce and sales enablement industries. His core technical skills are in Python, JavaScript, and JVM languages, and is experienced in bringing cloud apps to the scale of millions of global users, primarily using Amazon Web Services. Satati and I spoke about the different ways software engineers can pursue leadership roles, how CTOs must strike the right balance between new product velocity and technical debt, how his own leadership style has evolved over the years, and his recent interest in no-code and AI-enabled automation solutions. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Satati. Welcome to the Everyday Leader Podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. Our paths crossed back at our time at Pula in Nairobi. Uh, we got a chance to work uh, together briefly, and I was also a customer of one of your former startups, African Stock Photo. Was super helpful for me as I was building my initial branding with Coffee Chat. And you are now with Odie as a co-founder and really interested to unpack and understand the model that you and your co-founder are pursuing. But uh, before we get to that, just you know, wanted to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, awesome to be here. I've listened to many of your past episodes. It's like you took my favorite profiles on Twitter everyone who I follow is leaders in the African tech scene and you've spoken to them. So exciting to be part of that list finally. So before we get to your time now with Odie, uh, can you maybe take us back earlier in your career where you first realized that you wanted to be a leader and how you would uh, make your mark um, as a leader in maybe the tech scene or, or more broadly? Sure. My first leadership experience well, it, there, there wasn't a single day where leadership responsibility got handed over to me. It was more gradual. I worked at an organization called Frontline SMS for six years. And a couple of years in, I was promoted to senior engineer. Uh, still, my responsibilities were still primarily as a hands-on engineer. But our CTO at the time was much more strong in the product and agile project management side than he was on uh, tech. So he leaned quite heavily on me as the sole senior engineer in terms of being demonstrating some tech leadership. And the role kind of grew from there. I got involved in recruiting, in recruitment, in performance reviews and so on, in addition to being the, the main decision maker when it came to things tech infrastructure. And that gradual increase of responsibilities was a really smooth on-ramp for me into leadership within a tech team. And then the opportunity came up to become CTO at Frontline SMS myself. So that was quite, looking back, it's uh, one of the best opportunities that came up for me. I, I mean, there were other opportunities elsewhere at the time, but staying within an organization where the only variable that was changing was my responsibilities really helped me get to learn leadership in as, you know, a pace where it was much more comfortable than if I had, say, switched jobs and gone to a brand new company as a first-time CTO where I'd be learning a new industry, a new tech stack, and a new job all at the same time. So not everyone is familiar with something that would be unique 
uh, to the uh, kind of software development uh, leadership uh, journey. Most of our guests have not come from uh, this type of background, more generalist or from an HR background. So I'm really excited to hear more from the software developer to CTO uh, leadership journey track. Uh, so what would you share about that? Sure. I think my, my path, rewinding a few years in the Nairobi tech scene, there were only a few organizations where there were more branches to the path than what you just described. Typically, your path was going to be software engineer, senior software developer, maybe something like software team lead before you go into the C-suite and become a CTO. As the industry has matured, there's actually quite a number of different branches you can follow now. Uh, some organizations have introduced this concept of a principal engineer that I think was invented by Microsoft. Essentially, what it means is somebody who is such a good practitioner that it would be a shame to take them away from being hands-on as an engineer. And so instead, they get recognized as a exceptional engineer who remains focused on implementation rather than getting into managerial responsibilities. Uh, we've also seen people moving into things like uh, dev relations roles or being internal mentors, heads of infrastructure or architecture and so on. So the parts are diversifying, which I think is a good thing. But for me, my experience was, yeah, pretty single track software development intern once upon a time when I was at university, uh, then a couple of software engineering jobs before I became a senior and then moved on to CTO. And the responsibilities or the key requirements of these roles change quite dramatically when you get into the managerial steps because you're typically being rewarded by for being such a strong engineer and suddenly your responsibilities move away from being hands-on and more about enabling the productivity of the rest of your team or being the guardrails to help people flourish in their roles and be as productive as they can be at the expense of your own productivity if you strictly measure your own productivity in terms of you know tickets solved or lines of code pushed or number of features you worked on and so on. So I think that there can be a bit of a culture shock there as people move on in their career from being 100% hands-on engineer towards doing things like team management or uh, understanding business needs for the future and coming up with plans of how to implement them. So it, it's, it's one of the aspects that I think I've seen people struggle with in the past. I've seen people see, like I've worked with people who've seen me doing that and then said, I'm not sure that the CTO thing is for me. And I'm just happy that the industry doesn't force people to go into managerial roles anymore. Uh, as we mature, there is opportunity for salary progression and career progression without people having to, you know, take their hands off the keyboard as it were. It's a really interesting point around this individual contributor role versus a manager role. You obviously took that managerial route. Is that something you were eager to take on uh, or a bit hesitant? And then once you started taking on that role, what were the, the things that you liked about it or, or didn't like about it? The things that interest me the most about working in tech, of course, I'm a techie. I enjoy writing code. I enjoy solving problems. That's fun. But over the long run, it's the context that excites me the most. It's understanding what the tech is solving in context that is most uh, rewarding. You know, you, you come up with a first solution. You see how the end users respond to it, whether it's solving the problem it was supposed to solve for the business. 
And then you keep improving on that. Over time, you learn quite a lot, both about the technology, but about the business context. And I've been fortunate to do that in a few different industries now. I think there are some people who are doing software development strictly just to scratch a tech itch, in which case jobs like uh, working in a tech agency, for example, where you might only be on a specific client project for a month or three months. That can be a really exciting thing if all you want is a diverse range of problems to solve. But if you really want to get deep into understanding an industry and using your special skills, in my case, tech, uh, the CTO role is like a perfect role for that. Because to be good as a CTO, you have to both understand the tech and understand the business context and work effectively as a translator between those two domains. So that, that has always been an interest for me. Like I, Just solving tickets without context doesn't feel quite as satisfying to me. As a leader as well, I try to make sure that I'm exposing enough of the context to people working within my team so that it doesn't get same-ish. It doesn't just feel like an endless flood of features and bugs to fix, but they understand where this fits in within the business needs. Um, so that was really, I guess I, I, that's answering the question backwards. The thing that I enjoy the most about being a CTO is that being that bridge between the tech world and the business world. And it happened organically for me working in smaller teams, like when as a frontline SMS, I took an interest in what the business was doing, started to contribute towards strategy and how tech can play a role in that. And that made my transition towards these leadership roles a bit more organic. So it looks like you've uh, moved kind of back and forth between a CTO role versus a, a co-founder, a technical co-founder of uh, one of your own startups. You've done this uh, kind of back and forth dance a few times now. How do you uh, compare the two different types of roles? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, as a co-founder, I've always, in both cases, so I, I co-founded a company called African Stock Photo, and I am now co-founder of a company called Hobby. And in both cases, I play the role of tech co-founder, so it's still within my comfort zone. Like the majority of the work I'm doing in terms of implementation is engineering work. But the big difference is a co-founder, at least in the early stages, doesn't get to be so much of a specialist. You have to play a generalist role. You, you, know, you, you have to fake it till you make it. One day you'll be able to hire heads of finance, heads of marketing, heads of all sorts of other things. But in the initial stages, it's going to be the co-founders doing bits and pieces all over the shop. I'm fortunate. I, I guess my co-founder, Rob, drew the short straw in, in our current uh, relationship at Hodi in that he's an excellent generalist. And so most things like our operations, our sales, he's been the point person on that while I've gotten to be quite focused on tech. So in some senses, my role at Hodi, actually, I've, I've, being the sole developer for the first year meant that... I've been more hands-on in coding than I've been in maybe five, six years of my career because as a CTO, you tend to either be 50% engineer, 50% manager, or in some cases, you're not hands-on at all and you're more orchestrating an engineering practice. Um, so the Hodi role has been, in some senses, quite close to being an individual contributor. Uh, at African Stock Photo, we were both trying to do bits and pieces of sales, business development, fundraising, and so on. I enjoy the mix, uh, as I mentioned about my enjoyment of both doing the tech and the business context. I think being a co-founder allows you to go deep on both sides. You're hands-on and very often the only person for at least the initial phase in implementing the tech, 
and you have to give your best efforts towards all sorts of other areas where you don't have expertise which can be very daunting it can be very stressful but it's also really rewarding because you get to expand your skill set quite rapidly that so yeah i've enjoyed both sides of it i i wouldn't say there's one or the other that is better i think there's there's benefits to both i mean cto roles come with career stability financial security which early stage co-founder roles definitely don't uh, but the early stage co-founder roles also come with a freedom to explore and to set your own schedules and to determine your own direction and learn much faster than you would in most employment roles i find what you said around wearing two different hats really uh, really interesting so both in your co-founder roles and your cto roles you described needing to play the kind of lead engineer the technical kind of product uh, person hat but also the general management and executive hat because as much as you are the point person for the tech side of things you're also a part of that wider leadership team that needs to make the important uh, decisions to drive the business forward so i'm curious in your roles what what are the common types of decisions or debates that you found yourself in where you really need to kind of pull your CTO or technical co-founder card out and say this you know we really need to move in this direction or we really need to um, change course this way because obviously with the tech and product side of things there are lots of opportunities but there are also a lot of constraints that you have to work with which aren't always obvious from the outside Absolutely yeah there's a balancing act that you play there when you're wearing both these hats so most companies that have a tech person or a tech uh, function within them started because started that because they knew they, were, they had a set of opportunities that they were aware of for the application of tech but very often having a techie who's closer to the tooling and knows the context better there can also result in new ideas about how we can solve problems that come up which maybe the non-technical people within the management team aren't quite aware about just how accessible those opportunities are i very often have experienced as a cto people pitching big big long-term projects to me that would move the needle slightly and not being aware that there were much more uh, like much easier opportunities right ahead of them that could make a equal or greater impact on the business that actually don't require that big of a lift from tech so in that sense the cto is playing the role of bringing to the table new opportunities to use tech to solve problems but then the cto also has to play this handbrake role sometimes uh, there's this concept of technical debt within engineering teams this essentially just means instead of building the most polished possible solution you build the one that solves as much of the problem as possible in as little time as possible and you just need to keep track of all the shortcuts you've cut or all the things that you need to polish in the future or all the context in which this solution isn't going to work so in an early stage startup one of the counterintuitive balancing roles you have to do is you're trying to maximize technical debt so most people think of technical debt as a bad thing but in an early stage startup cto should be looking for all the corners that you can cut to create business value and validate the idea that technology can actually solve these business problems and only later when you see the maturity building around this that the business has actually adopted the tech that you built 
as part of its core functions. Only then is it worth revisiting all this and building it in the more polished way. Of course, if you had infinite bandwidth, you would do the most polished version right off the bat. But in reality, at least in early stage startups, you're always going to have more things to build and you're not going to have the time to always build the shiniest version upfront. So as a technical co-founder or a CTO, you're playing this role of also making sure that the technical debt is at the right level, that you're not, you're not building brittle things that will just fall over the moment a second or third user starts using them. And you're also not building over polishing, you know, making the most perfect version of something that may be abandoned after one week of being used. And playing that juggling act, being the sole decider of that balance of when we can't take on new projects because we need to polish up things we've done in the past versus when we have bandwidth to continue. Uh, it's one of the challenges. It's one of the things that people just, <laughs> in my experience, the rest of your management team just has to trust the CTO's judgment when it comes to that, because it can be pretty hard to illustrate uh, the potential. Say you have some component that's live in production, it has no tests, and a second, third, fourth client is coming with slightly different use cases and they want to use this tool. Communicating to the rest of the team that actually that thing which is working perfectly for client one needs a new lick of paint before we push it to additional clients can be a tough thing for people to hear because usually done in most people's minds is just a one-time thing. It's not a repeated process of improving things. So I think that's one of the, the aspects that can be quite hard for people to understand. And it's a responsibility of the CTO to play that role of ensuring we're, we're finding that balance, right? Yeah, this, this idea of technical debt is, is really fascinating. Um, and it kind of follows this idea of, like you described, building a, a minimum viable product, uh, not needing to create anything too fancy, just needs to get the job done. And as I understand it, you really don't know how much technical debt there really is until you know which direction you're going. <laughs> so if you end up uh, getting feedback from customers uh, that they really like, you know, feature A, uh, and you, you know, don't even need to use feature B, then uh, you don't really have to worry about not having built out feature B uh, in the polished sense, like you, like you said. Um, so yeah, I've seen that firsthand. Uh, and you're, you're spot on in terms of that balance. Um, and it, it sounds like you have now played that role in in a number of different uh, business models ranging from you know, with frontline SMS, uh, African stock photo, Pula, which is micro insurance, and now Hodi. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about uh, what Hodi is and uh, what you're hoping to achieve uh, with your co-founder, Rob? Yeah, so Hodi is, in a sentence, sales development outsourcing. Uh, sales development is a role within a sales team where you're identifying and qualifying potential new business opportunities and starting the communication with them through cold outreach, it might be emails, social media, could be uh, phone calls in some industries. And the idea is you do all the work to get this pipeline of potential business opportunities and hand them over to an account executive who's the closer. That's the person with the authority to negotiate the exact pricing, any customizations that be, might be necessary, and so on. So that's the typical split in a sales organization for a B2B business. Now, a trend that has happened over the last 10, 15 years is that the sales development, so the early stages of that pipeline, has been outsourced in a few cases, and it's, it's 
becoming quite successful that you can outsource that to an agency who will help you find and qualify and even do the early outreach to potential new business, then hand over to your closers within your company to close the deal. So that's what Hodi is doing. Uh, typically, this outsourcing is, well, US companies are typically outsourcing to one or two companies also based in the US. And we're trying to be, you know, the Andela of B2B sales development. We want to show that African talent can execute this just as well as US-based talent. And because many of our clients are US companies in the most expensive industry, parts of the world, like San Francisco, Silicon Valley, uh, we're also able to do it in a way that is, you know, price, a price point that is attractive to the firms we're working for while creating good paying jobs and career progression opportunities for the people working with us here in Nairobi. Uh, core to all of this, our secret sauce is our tech. My primary focus is building this tech platform that allows someone who's recently graduated from any degree at the University of Nairobi or any other regional university to come in and suddenly start playing this role, essential role within a tech team for a Silicon Valley startup. And the good thing with sales is it's very measurable. It's very, very objective what performance looks like. So we're able to benchmark ourselves very directly against the performance of an embedded sales development rep in a Silicon Valley startup. And we're already on par with that, uh, with the talent that we're working with locally. And we're hoping to keep on making that more effective, more automated so that we can outperform the option of hiring a sales rep internally while being cheaper and creating great paying jobs here in Nairobi. The best business models are models where you're helping other people make money. So I think you're definitely onto something. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on how your leadership style has evolved. So this is now your second uh, company that you founded. Uh, so you're well on your way. How would you compare yourself as a co-founder back in 2017 with your first company compared with now? It's an interesting progression because looking back, it has been step by step. My first CTO role was in a company where I knew the code base inside out, I knew the tech stack, I knew the industry fairly well. I'd been working in messaging automation for a few years. And so the main, the role, the type of CTO I was, was the practitioner in the trenches, shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the tech team, spending most hours of my day coding while also being involved in the managerial aspect and the decision-making at the leadership level. Uh, I then went on to Pula where it was a new tech stack. So Frontline was all Java, JVM-based technologies, and Pula was a Python shop. So I was moving into a new industry that I knew little or nothing about. That's uh, InsureTech and AgTech. I was moving to a team that had an existing product built on a stack that I had no idea about. So I had to adjust my leadership style. I, I was never quite as hands-on at Pula, at least in the initial phase. And instead, I focused a lot more on bringing in the agile managerial processes that I think were a bit behind because they didn't have a, a full-time CTO within the organization. So my emphasis there shifted a lot more from technical leadership to managerial and process leadership. The style of the approach I use in implementing this has always been collaborative and trying to build consensus. So whether it's making big decisions about tech tooling, I don't do that in a silo when I'm the sole decider. I'll always decide have a conversation with a few people, get some input from other engineers who'll be maintaining and implementing these solutions. And I try to do the same for process as well. 
the good thing working in engineering is we have lots of playbooks for management that have been preset for us. All these different agile techniques. You can follow them blindly for a few years, you know, just play it the way the book does, do scrum by the letter. And over time, the reasons why these rule books were made up becomes a lot more evident to you. Uh, and one of the main things in Agile is this idea of implementing process as an iterative process itself. So using your weekly or bi-weekly retrospectives to look at what's been working well, both in terms of your output, but also your processes and iterate on that. Like how can we change this? Are we spending too much time in meetings? Do people feel excluded from decision-making? Do people feel removed from the business context? You're able to address those bit by bit as you mature as a team, instead of trying to do it all upfront with you know, one copy-paste method. That's, that's core to what Agile is. And yeah, that, that's been a, a thing I've leaned on quite heavily throughout. So as my responsibility or the flavor of CTO in quotes that I am has evolved, I've still tried to keep true to that uh, Agile iterative implementation of my opinions or approaches and a collaborative approach where the rest of the team has a say. Tell us more about this playbook. Uh, I've heard of this before, especially uh, on tech teams. Is this a kind of manual to uh, guide the culture and the kind of process in which your team uh, builds new products? And, and is that shared across the wire team or just within the tech team? So agile software development practices in general, all that Agile is referring to is the idea that you evaluate, you do small loops of trying something, evaluating it, and then making changes and repeating. And this applies both to how you build the actual product, whether it's software or it could be cars in an assembly line, it could be anything. And it also applies to the processes themselves. So say you're using daily check-ins with a manager. You can try that for a few weeks evaluate how that's going, and then iterate on the process. Say you need to introduce new documentation and so on. It really helps having this mindset that no decision is set in stone forever. It reduces the level of confidence you have to have to try something. You know, if, if you're making a recommendation that needs to hold for the next five years, you're going to spend a lot more time in decision-making to make sure you get it right. But if your mindset is, let's just try it and review and change it, then... It's, it's, it's a lot easier to make these uh, more speculative decisions, save time, don't be caught in this analysis paralysis, as they say, and instead try things and move on. So that's what Agile is. And then you have specific implementations of software development processes, which you could think of as flavors of Agile. An example is extreme programming. One that many people would have heard of is Scrum. So what these are are playbooks of specific activities to do that form one implementation of agile software development. Scrum, as an example, is a very, very opinionated framework. It has a whole set of meetings and rules and so on that you're supposed to follow. So the idea is not that you should stick to this rule book from day one to the end, but that this rule book can form a starting point for your organization. And then using your iterative process, you can decide which of these works best and so we keep it, which ones are completely superfluous so you drop them, and which other agile rituals you want to evolve and make your own homebrewed version of. 
So they form kind of like a starting point playbook that you can copy paste within different organizations. If you have any experienced engineers within your team, they'll be mostly familiar with most of the rituals in here. It's things like daily standups, uh, sprints that last a set duration, demos at the end of sprints. Uh, there's, there's a playbook of activities and rituals that you do. So over time, you, you adapt this towards your own context. That, that's the key that people misunderstand about these frameworks. The idea isn't that it's rigid and forever. The idea is it's an opinionated starting point that you can then adapt to your specific business. Amazing. That, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And, and just as we start to wrap up today, um, I'm curious if you have identified um, a superpower uh, for yourself. Like as you have built these teams, built these products, built these companies, what kind of superpowers have emerged that you tend to uh, lean on? And then on, on the flip side, what are some kind of challenges that you continue to face that you're working through um, as a leader at the moment? I think the curiosity for the business context that we discussed earlier is one of the things that has been a, I call it an organic superpower, something that Many people have, I think most people have, most people only have job satisfaction if they are somewhat aware of the importance of their role in a wider context. Um, that's been really useful for me. I think I take it to quite a strong level. I don't want to just be tech in a silo and a lot of the feedback I've gotten from uh, my bosses in different organizations has been that my ability to play these two roles and speak these two different domain specific languages both the business language and the tech language uh, is one of the key skill sets that they, they've benefited from. Uh, another is viewing myself as an enabler first when I'm a leader or in a leadership role, rather than viewing myself as the technical expert in the room. I know it's kind of ironic to, or you know, big up yourself, selflessness as, as one of your skills. It's kind of a self-centered thing to even bring it up, but I have seen leaders who struggle by trying to apply expertise or past experience right off the bat, coming in and trying to flip the tables and show that this is how it should work because I've seen you working in other contexts. I don't see it that way. I think that the best role you can play is listening to the people within the team who will be doing the bulk of the implementation and being the enabler for them, being the shield that when there's too much shifting business context, your role is to make sure that people aren't being exposed to this in, in a very disruptive way and are able to keep heads down and implementing, which, as I think most people know, is one of the main things that software engineers look for. They want to be able to come to work, not be on eight meetings a day, not have changing priorities every day, but have some consistency and predictability to the work they do. So those are two, I don't know if I'd call them superpowers, but at least it's like parts of my approach that I've seen being successful. Uh, in terms of challenges, like I mentioned, I, I think I have a lot of room for growth as a generalist when it comes to things like finance, when it comes to things like sales uh, for our own organization. I work in a sales organization now, so I have to expose myself. It would be hypocritical not to be involved in our sales pipeline and be a founder of a sales-related organization. But that's really not my strongest point. I'm, I'm not that good at pitching to people to get something over the line. I'm good at explaining things. And if it's inherently obvious what the value is, then sometimes I can close the deal that way. But I'm not a, 
uh, salesperson in, in you know, the traditional convincing someone to buy something that they didn't initially plan to with the approach or context. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of room. I think as a co-founder, you get pulled in all these different directions. And I think that's the main way that I can feel the growth is that um, I'm being exposed to leading a more diverse type of uh, employee profile as well. Like we don't have that many engineers at Hodi. There's two of us who are techies among the first 14 employees at the company. And so I'm, I'm also learning from our employees about approaches that may work in tech that are not quite transferable to other skill sets. And the opposite is also true. There's very often times that the things which you learn from these agile playbooks that actually just turn out to be good management practice that you can apply no matter the context of the skill set. So yeah, expanding my skills as a generalist is what I'm hoping to keep doing over my journey uh, building hood. Well, as they say, the best opportunities are where you are constantly learning and expanding uh, on yourself. So um, it sounds like you have some work cut out for yourself. Uh, sales is not easy. So uh, wishing you the best of luck with that. But I'm sure that you'll lean on those superpowers that you talked about. So Satati, obviously you are on uh, the cutting edge of many different things and you are a uh, startup co-founder. Uh, I'd love to hear if you have any trends uh, in your industry or the wider tech ecosystem or more even more broadly, the future of work that you would love to highlight and share with our audience. One of the trends that's really interesting to me in tech is that access to building automation or custom tech is becoming much easier, much more democratized. Uh, this coming through different ways. One is the AI is coming to get us all. <laughs> We've seen things like GitHub Copilot, OpenAI Codex, Kite, and so on. There's a lot of startups who are trying to get at the job of the software engineer through AI. But we're also seeing it coming from other directions. One is no code. I'm a big fan of the no code movement, tools like Zapier, tools like Bubble, and there's lots of them where you can build what just rewinding five years ago would have required a software engineer or even a software engineering team. You can now have a non-technical person setting up similar automations just by clicking through a intuitive graphical interface. Uh, and the third one is software languages are getting more and more easy to understand. The abstractions are getting more high level as software training or um, programming training becomes more and more mainstream. We're seeing it become a lot more intuitive as well. Like when I look at the kind of online courses people can do these days, the training is incredible. And the ability for someone to switch mid-career into a software development path is quite a remarkable thing considering that just uh, 20 years ago that was seen as something that you have to specifically go to university and learn for three years. So as the ability to build becomes more and more of a general skill set, I think that the tech leaders of the future will be more of the product and process visionaries, the translators between business domains like we were discussing earlier, rather than the expert practitioner. And I think that's a trend that I'm excited to see how that matures over time, um, to see what the next generation of CTOs or tech leaders looks like, because I, I think I have a lot to learn in terms of product vision. My skill set is quite heavily biased towards process and execution, technical execution. And I think that someone with my skill set probably doesn't make it as a CTO in 10 years time when execution isn't quite as valuable a skill as product vision. 
So the industry is definitely being disrupted and I'm all for it. I think the more people are able to build things themselves, the better for business and for development of software. I'm a big fan of no code myself. I'm curious if you were in university now, uh, would you still pursue the software engineering route or would you use something like no code or low code tools to uh, pursue your startups? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I think I got into coding not so much out of a specific career path that I wanted to follow, but instead it was just something interesting to me. I started coding when I was in high school, uh, self-taught from some books, uh, one book in particular that an uncle bought me for a birthday once. And so I, I think I'm happy with my choice to code, even if it has in future diminishing career prospects, I probably would still have done it. Uh, but if you're being deliberate about the path that you want to follow, like a path into leadership through tech, I think that being good at product design will be as attractive, I'd say. I, 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 it's not necessarily going to overtake things. And I mean, it's also a very in-demand skill set today. But rather than engineers being the rock stars of a product development organization, I think it will, the playing field will be evened out. If you're very good at testing, you can in future command the same pay and career progression opportunities into leadership that someone today who's a hands-on software engineer does. So I think it, it, it flattens, levels the playing field, um, but it, it's a slow effect. I, it's not an overnight thing. Like you said, low code is quite a common thing now that uh, it's only for the specific edge cases that you might need software engineering input, while the more general things can be built uh, DIY by a non-techie. And I think that means that organizations that today have five engineers might just need one or two in the future. Um, how that plays out, the impact that has on the industry is going to be an interesting thing to watch. And I'm really, really excited to follow in Hody's journey to really uh, build out this platform and, and enable uh, Kenyan talent to really uh, access the, this global market. Uh, I think that's a huge opportunity and glad to see you and Rob uh, pursue that and Thank you so much for opening up about your career, your leadership journey, uh, the superpowers and, and the challenges that you face and some of the best practices around uh, playbooks and, and some of the, the technologies that you work with uh, so far in your career. So thank you again, Satati, and wishing you continued success. Thanks, Chris.